Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you to listen up. It's going to be a time of motivation, some inspiration, a whole lot of education done with absolutely, and I repeat, no manipulation, no gimmicks, no games, no requesting money, not trying to get you to sign up for anything. We're only here for one reason, that's to give you accurate information, and that information, I pray, will help you verify as well as identify the plan of God for your life, and if you wish to orient and adjust to the plan, then you have the freedom and the liberty to do so. But my job is to be accurate, not to give you some human speculation, but to give you biblical revelation or to be accurate from the Bible, the canon of Scripture. That's right. It's a show about the Bible, so don't turn it off yet. It's not like anything you've heard before, I promise you. We uh, No jumping up and down, no yelling, no screaming, just some logical presentation of the Word of God. If you're new to the show, FLOT, F-L-O-T, stands for Forward line of troops. And what we're using here is a military analogy of how a believer in Jesus Christ can establish a main line of resistance in his life using a forward line of troops. And that F-L-O-W stands for forward line of troops. And that is made up of 10 unique problem-solving devices. When you learn these and use these then you will be able to stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside source of stress. That's why we always say adversity is inevitable and yet stress is optional because adversity is what circumstances do to you and stress, well, that's what you do to yourself. So learning those 10 problem-solving devices. We have a book about it. It's free if you want it. I'll send it right to you. No charge, No nothing else coming, just that book. But it lists rebound as problem-solving device number one. It lists the filling of the Holy Spirit as problem-solving device number two. It lists the faith rest drill as problem-solving device number three. It lists biblical orientation, grace orientation, a personal sense of destiny, personal love for God, impersonal love for others. Plus eight, you're sharing the happiness of God and occupation with Jesus Christ. Those are your ten unique problem-solving devices. Somebody says prayer is not in there. Well, prayer is not designed to solve your problems. Prayer is an instantaneous communication with the Father. But as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, I prayed three times for my problem to be removed, and it was not removed. And that's when God told him that my grace is sufficient. And grace orientation is a problem-solving device. Four weeks ago, I started a special study on the uh, uniqueness of the Christian life. And uh, since that time, I've been to Texas and spoke in Texas, presented this study, added some notes. So I'm going to review a little bit for this before we press on to where we left off last time. I have already taught you our unique assets as believers in Jesus Christ, what God the Father has given to us and what he's provided for us. I'm going to have to move my notes across the page here. So you may hear the microphone hit. Excuse me. Our unique assets. Now, here's what we want to do. 
one of the most unique things the world has ever known, ever seen, ever heard of. I mean, shock and all is called the mystery doctrine of the church, and it's Christ living in you. No one ever heard of that before. Christ living in you. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory indwelled the tabernacle, but it never indwelled any individual. But now, according to the Bible in Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. So the Gentiles were brought into the royal family of God to begin the unique dispensation called the church. Christ living in you. The Holy of Holies of the tabernacle has now taken up residence in you. And so Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. But when I say put on the Lord Jesus Christ, what I'm saying is that as a believer in Christ, a Christian, you need to have a different identity and a different personality profile. A different identity and a different personality profile. You were an unbeliever, you're now a believer. Now you have to assume the profile of Jesus Christ, which is humility. He humbled himself, the Bible says in Philippians 2, 5, and made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a man and was obedient all the way to the cross. So we take on his mentality. He take on, we take on his personality. He lives in us. And then guess what happens? Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, not only in eternity, but in time as well, because we have divine operating assets. And that's what makes us stand apart from the unbelievers in the devil's world. I call them the disadvantaged ones. They don't have the advantages that we have. But the sad thing is that, and I think it's very possible that a lot of believers never really tap in to their unique assets. I mean, we're under orders. We're under orders from God. We must present ourselves for his service. Romans six thirteen. do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, and here's the, the mandate, present yourself, present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Present yourself to God is the Greek word pateristomy, and it's an imperative mood in the Greek New Testament, and that says when you don't do this, you're sinning. If you disobey the commander's orders, you're sinning. Presenting yourself to God means that you take your flesh, your sin nature. Remember the Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh. They're contrary one to the other. So you put your flesh aside. You die to self. You say no to self. And you begin to grow in God's grace plan, learning the protocol plan of God, utilizing the grace provisions that God has for you because your body is now the temple of God. It's no longer a tabernacle. You are the tabernacle. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And he goes on to say, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, and so should you be. 
divine discipline is real for the believer in Jesus Christ. When we reject the plan of God, we go through warning discipline, Hebrews 12, 6. We go through intense discipline. That's when God takes us out behind the woodshed. And we can also go through dying discipline. So you cannot afford to uh, turn your back on the Word of God or to defile your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? By getting sin into your life and not confessing the sin, letting the sin hibernate, letting the sin saturate your life. It could be any different sin, but you defile the temple of God. If that old sin nature controls your body, then you're going to scar your body up. And if you do enough sin, enough times, the damage is inconceivable. Because Ephesians 4.19 says those being past feelings, that means they're calloused and they're insensitive, they're apathetic, they have no conviction, they've destroyed all of their norms and standards. Those that are past feelings have betrayed their own self to lasciviousness and produce uncleanliness with greed. This is a pattern in the latter days of the church, the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. In other words, they'll walk away from the Word of God, and they will listen to deceiving spirits, doctrine of demons, and they will be having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Conscience seared with a hot iron. What does that mean? That's the Greek word seared is the Greek word kosariazo. And we get an English word from that, cauterize. And this means, you know, to cauterize something, to burn it so it doesn't keep bleeding. You cauterize a bleeder. Um, those who spread false doctrine, those who walk away from the faith, are branded in their mentality like a cow is branded with a, with a branding iron. That cauterizing of their soul no conviction, no consciousness, all norms and standards destroyed. So you must not let that happen to you. You can't afford to dabble in sin and fail to use problem-solving device number one, which is rebound. It's a volitional decision you must make. You have to make this decision. Ephesians 4.22 says you must put off that old manner of life, those old habits and those old actions, which are corrupt that lead to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, learn to think differently, acquire divine viewpoint, take on the mentality of Jesus Christ. So what are the mechanics? Again, use your volition to advance spiritually, change the way you think, start thinking some divine viewpoint, learn God's word, change the way you live, grace orientation. God graced you out, you grace other people out. Change your goals. You have a new sense of destiny, a new identity. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. And all of this is done by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we have incredible assets. We have the Bible. Uh, we have different spiritual gifts. We have a, a well-qualified pastor teacher who's designed to teach us God's Word. Uh, we have all of these things available to us if we take advantage of them. And here's the thing that God's going to do with you. He's going to inspect your heart. Revelation 2.23, I am the one who searches the mind and the hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your production. So we have amazing promises here. 
I want you to hear this one promise. This is the most amazing promise of all. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. This is an amazing lifestyle. There's a possibility that you can live a life free of anxiety, free of stress, free of fear, free of worry, that you can have perfect peace. Psalm 119, 165, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. That's to be discouraged or to be defeated. And this is not the peace that comes from getting saved. I mean, Billy Graham wrote a little article called Peace with God, and that's what happens when you get saved for sure. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5, 1 and 2, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's salvation peace. But what I'm talking about is a peace after you're saved, a peace as you live your Christian life, a way to live with a relaxed mental attitude that's incredible. It's a life free of worry, a life free of anxiety, a life free of fear. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. Listen, capacity for life, the capacity to live your life is related to you being content with what gives you, what God gives you. And the instructions from the Word of God are designed to develop integrity in your life. And this is the attitude of stability and it's the capacity for really true happiness, having this integrity. All arrogance will destroy any chance of integrity. No integrity, no contentment. So the details of life, those things that are out there, that's not the source of true happiness. I mean, I enjoy having fun doing certain things. I love to fish. Bass fishing is a hobby for me. But it's not the source of true happiness. Even Paul said it this way in, in Philippians 3.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. This is a question I have to ask you. Are you content today? Or do you think that something else could make you happy? Look at your life. Look at your circumstances. Are you content? Now, I'm not talking about your spiritual life. I hope you're not content with where you are spiritually. But physically, the assets you have, you know, the details of life, are you content? Or do you think if you could win the lottery? Or do you think if you could just meet the right person? Or, or do you think if I just lived in a different place that I could get a different job, then I could be happy? See, unhappy people are going to take their unhappiness with them wherever they go. So to have tranquility of soul, to have stability of mental attitude, it's an amazing thing, not letting your emotions control you and living under this peace that God supplies you. This kind of true contentment, that's peace. That's the peace of happiness. And it is possible through the power of God to come to the place in our lives where we have this happiness. It's called plus H. It's problem-solving device number nine. This tranquility and this contentment, and at the same time, to have a fantastic love and appreciation for our Father. Now, last time I was talking to you about this, I also want to let you know that there is great comfort and relief in prayer. Listen to the verse I'm fixing to read to you. Philippians 6 and 7, as I started it, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, by prayer, 
and supplication, prayer, with thanksgiving, prayer, let your request be made known to God, prayer, 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 and what does it say after that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's comfort and relief in prayer. When you express your helplessness, when you express your dependence on God, that's you recognizing and orienting to his grace provisions, and thus we can relax. We can enjoy the peace of God with a relaxed mental attitude because Satan's going to attack your thinking. That's where he works. He's, he's attacking your mind. That's where you live your spiritual life, in your mind, in your soul. You're not what you look like. You're what you think like. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The real you is what you think. And this is where the battle goes on. It's the battle for your thoughts. So you live your Christian life in the mentality of your soul, and that's where he will focus his attack. He wants you to doubt. He wants you to be deceived. He wants you to be discouraged. These are all weapons that Satan uses. And the Bible says, if you'll take those requests known to God, the peace of God which passes understanding will guard future active indicative of frufeo. It will guard you. It will, it will protect you. It will protect your mind and your heart. Your mind, your nous, N-O-U-S, that's the Greek word mind, and your heart, cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A. There are two different compartments in the soul. The mind is where you assimilate information, and the heart is where you apply the information. So one is intake and one is outtake. One is taken in and one is put it out. So you take it in with the mind and you use it in the heart. When you use it in the heart, it's called wisdom in the Bible. It's an amazing thing. And so there's never any need for you to worry yourself sick, never a need for any of this sort of stuff, uh, because the peace of God will guard you. Amazing, amazing. Uh, I told you last time that Satan will try to neutralize you by recapturing your thoughts. He will try to get your thought life. He will try to get the way you think. And this is why Paul wrote it this way. He said, cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity, listen now, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Casting down imaginations and every high thing. High thing, hoopsoma, it's a Greek word meaning barrier or antagonism. Uh, Paul describes his mental attitude to us. It's him talking about himself there. He speaks of the way he handled things, his resources, that's what that is. And he said, we destroy human speculations. That's casting down imaginations. Let me give you a little modified expanded translation of 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy human speculations that are antagonistic to God, as well as every barrier in our soul that stand against the knowledge of God. And by doing this, we capture every thought and bring them into obedience. Now remember, Satan's going to play mind games with you, and that we begin, the victory in your life begins with what you think. So he will try to change the way you think, recapture your thoughts. He will try to reclaim your affections. That's why the Bible says, love not the world. 
and uh, he will seek to redirect your focus. That's why the Bible says don't look at things that are seen, but things that are unseen. And he will seek to redefine your values, and that's why the Bible says don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you, as a believer, have all these assets. You're a royal priest. You're a member of the royal family of God. You have the power of intercessory prayer. You have the filling of the Holy Spirit. All of these things you have so that you can have a tranquil and a quiet life. The Bible clearly says this. Paul encourages prayer on behalf of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says to Timothy, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made known behalf of all men, and look in the verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority, so like the president, so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and all dignity. In other words, what Paul is saying is he wants Timothy to pray for the government so they will be undisturbed by government authorities and they can have a tranquil, calm life and learn and serve and worship God, not a stormy life. And uh, Paul knew the deteriorating political atmosphere of Rome. He knew what was going on, and essentially in 64 AD, Rome burned down, and Nero accused Christians of doing it, and he, I mean, he persecuted them unmercifully. So if there's one thing we don't have in America today, uh, it's tranquility or quiet lives because we are assaulted every day by media bullies seeking to impose their agenda on the masses. And the only way to, deb to uh, debate that or defeat that is through prayer. Now, let's talk about your unique times that you live in, okay? The most unique thing is we live in that church age. And when we became believers in Jesus Christ, we were automatically adopted into the family of God, made heir with God and Christ. We're heirs to the family of God. Listen, Galatians 3.26, For you are all the sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ, having predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That means, here's what it means, You're, you and I, we are spiritual aristocracy. That's the highest class in society. We're, we, are, we are spiritual nobility. We might not be presidential. We might not be kings, but we are nobility in Christ. And this is superior to any other dispensation in the history of the church. Even from the beginning of time until the end of time, no one has the spiritual nobility of the royal family of God except the church members, you, me. We're members of the body of Christ adopted into the family of God. We have a new purpose, a new responsibility, a new source of authority, and we have a life that is planned specifically for us and us alone. So as we learn that purpose, we learn our unique assets, we use our assets, and we know that we are now, you, me, we are now the personal representatives of Jesus Christ during our time here in the arena of contention called earth. We are ambassadors from heaven. The Bible says we're royal ambassadors. That means we've been left here for a, position, for a purpose and for a certain time. And so if, if we're gonna do that, 
we've got to have a certain mindset. That mindset requires us to have humility and to commit yourself to the life that God has for you. Paul said it this way. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet it's not me, but it's Christ living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying is he put to death the flesh. He's not living for the flesh anymore, and he's not living by sight anymore. The only way to live is to live by faith, and you must trust God. In other words, Christ died for you experientially, thus you die for him in your position. You say, nope, I'm not going to obey the lust of the flesh. Yes, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit control my life. Yes, I'm going to take God's word and learn it and use it. Yes, I'm going to change the way I think. Yes, I'm going to change my personality. Yes, I'm going to represent Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. I mean, the Son obeyed the Father, and you have to as well. You have to obey the Son. Jesus said to the disciples, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself. That means put your life aside. You're going to have to live for me. And this act of sacrifice is simply you denying what you may have the right to do in order to serve him. In other words, your existence, your life, must forever be a channel for the flow of the gospel demonstrated by virtue love to all that you meet. Whether it's impersonal love for the lost man, whether it's personal love for the believer, having personal love for the God the Father, because Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21. That must be you. For you to live is Christ. That's why you're here, to represent him not only represent him by means of your local church, but to represent him in your personal life. That's why Paul said, anything that I had in the past, I count that all as dung. I have a new life, a new mission, a new purpose. All that other stuff is just rubbish. If he's my Lord, I have a new ownership. I'm his servant now, Paul said. He called himself a slave of Jesus Christ, and we are also. Think about it. Your destiny and your history depends on your attitude about this. I hope you're learning. I hope you're putting this together. It's an awesome time to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you for listening. Don't hesitate to contact me if you ever have a question. I'm always available. You can email me from our website, recuseministries.org. Until next week, same time, same place. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.